On these Wednesday evening services, we have been hearing God's word from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this evening we hear from the first chapter, beginning at verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen again to just a couple of the words from the psalm that we recited earlier. The warning is not to put your trust in princes, or in the sons of men, in whom there is no salvation, because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. That's how things go for the sons of men. There comes a day when their breath departs and all of the things that they have planned, all of the things that they have pictured for themselves, all of their hopes and all of their dreams are laid to rest in the ground with them to bear no more fruit. It's something that our world knows very well, but also something that our world tries very hard to ignore, which is the reason why I think in our day especially, death is sequestered from our daily lives. There was a time in history when folks were much more familiar with death. It happened at home. It happened nearby them. They did less to dress it up than we do now. But now it has been sequestered. It has been put away. It's been placed into sterile rooms. And those who are deceased, those who've passed away, are made to look as though they have not actually died. That their plans have not, in fact, perished. That they are not, in fact, about to be laid into the ground. The world knows it. The world knows that there's this sharp line, this bright line between the life of the flesh and its death. Between living and breathing and returning to dust. And so, so many people and our world altogether spends its energy, spends its effort trying to maximize life. To get the most out of the flesh. To wring it for all that it's worth holding off that moment, that death, for as long as possible. 
It's important that we have that perspective in mind because what Paul says this evening stands in extraordinarily stark contrast to that. As far as Paul is concerned, there is no difference between life and death. Imagine the world thinks of it like this big uh, opposite. There's the, there are these two poles as far as the east is from the west. Life on one side and death on the other. But as far as Paul is concerned, the two are brought together so that they are basically the same. Or at least it's merely a choice between two good things. Like the choice between two really good meals, between ribs or a fish fry. It's one way or the other. It's six of one and half a dozen of the other. As far as Paul is concerned, to him, living is Christ. Serving his neighbor, sharing the gospel, spreading the joy of the kingdom with those around him. Living is good, but so is dying. Because dying means that he gets to be with Christ. Dying means that everything promised to him in Christ is fulfilled. As far as Paul is concerned, It's just a difference between good and better. Not a difference between night and day or black and white. It is a difference between two things that have been sanctified by God. For you, you all, in this flesh, live by faith and not by sight. You live according to the promises of God and not according to your experiences in the flesh. So although each one of us grows older and weaker and see our way sees our way into the grave, none of us will die because we have already been buried with Christ. Although our bodies will be laid into a hole in the ground, none of us will die because we have already died with Christ. We are in Christ, and so what goes for him goes for us. He who burst forth from the tomb, he who could not be kept by the tomb, he is our life and our salvation. It's those beautiful words of that uh, first hymn that we sang, Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. This beautiful picture of what happens to a Christian. Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home, that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. That's not the way the world thinks about death. As peaceful slumber, as a rest, before awakening to the joys of the kingdom of heaven. But this is what is in store for you. And then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. It's that joy. It's that joy which is anticipated now, which will be fulfilled in the resurrection. It's that joy that Paul shows forth in spades. I've said to you before that this letter is Paul's letter of joy, and you heard it again (laughs) At the beginning of our lesson, he says, And yes, I will rejoice. He said it in the sentence just before. I rejoice even in my imprisonment. And yes, I will rejoice, he says, because whether I live or whether I die, all is Christ. And in Christ is life and everlasting blessings, everlasting joy with my Heavenly Father. Christ is glorified in our bodies. That's what Paul hopes for. That's what he knows to be true. He says, whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be glorified. He is the one whose name has been exalted above every name. He is the one at whose name the knees of everyone must bow. His is the name at which the earth sings out in seeing him come to save us. And so if he is glorified, then we who are hidden in him will certainly also be glorified. 
Paul has nothing to be afraid of. He has nothing to worry about. He has nothing to drive him to despair because he has this joy in Christ. His one concern, and he's confident that this is not going to happen, but his one concern is that he might for some reason be ashamed of his imprisonment, ashamed of the gospel, but he says, no, that's not what's going to happen. I'm not going to be ashamed because I am in Christ and Christ has died for me. And if Christ looked at the cross and suffered all of this, not despising the shame, but enduring it, knowing what God had in store for him and for you in the cross, so also can I suffer what little I suffer now, the crosses that I bear now, without shame, because I have the joy of Christ, Christ's joy which was full on the cross, even as he breathed his last for you. Paul prays for the Christians in Philippi that they would rejoice as well. He prays for them that their life would reflect this joy, that they would live fearlessly, not afraid of any of their opponents. That's the obstacle that stands most often in the way of Christians, fear of enemies from without or enemies from within, fear of the devil, fear of death, fear of sin. None of those things can hold any sway over you because you are in Christ. And that fearlessness, that fearlessness, Paul says, is a sign It's a sign to their opponents that they have no power. It's a sign to the devil that he has no power. Think about this. When you behave fearlessly in this life, when you live as though sin cannot hurt you, when you live as though death is not the end for you, when you live as though Christ has died and risen for you, the devil can do nothing to you. He has to tuck his tail and run because his power has been taken away when you are fearless in that way. You take away his power, he cannot hurt you, and so live fearlessly. Put your hope in God. Believe what he says. Believe what he has done for you. Never take your eyes off of it, and you will not be ashamed. Never take your eyes off it, and you will rejoice. You cannot help but rejoice when you see, when you remember what Christ has done for you. It's why it's so good. I can't tell you how good it is that you are here tonight to be filled again with this joy. It's the joy that we're going to sing in a moment when we sing the song of Mary, who says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has seen the lowliest state of his handmaiden. God has looked on you and on me in our lowliness, and he has done everything in his power to raise us up. And that is what we are here to receive tonight. Let this be your prayer. The words of the last verse of that hymn that we just sang, The will of God is always best. Let this be your prayer. When life's brief course on earth is run and I this world am leaving, grant me to say, your will be done, your faithful word believing. My dearest friend, I now commend my soul into your keeping from sin and hell and death as well, by you, by Christ alone, the victory reaping. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.